0: This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Guys, thank you so much for being here this morning. Welcome to Harvest. It is a privilege to have you with us. Uh, all of you guys at Rolling Hills, yeah, yeah, Mike sent a message a while ago, said, it's me. I am know Rolling Hills. Uh, glad to have everybody at, uh, at Rolling Hills Apartment Complex joining us for service in the clubhouse this morning as well. And, um, guys, it's a, it's a privilege to be able to come together, isn't it? Aren't you glad that we, we live in a country where we're free to gather together in the name of Jesus and to lift up his name corporately? Amen. I mean, uh, guys, we, we, we feel like there's so many things to complain about, but we still have so much freedom. And we know that true freedom is found in Jesus, but when we live in a place where we can gather together and we can exalt and lift up his name together, that's a good thing. Amen. So I just want to welcome you, Um, as I always say, we're a family of Christ followers here at Harvest, and and the Lord brought us together, we found that we're stronger together than we are individually, so we've chosen to link arms and accomplish God's purposes in the earth uh, together. We do gather together in community groups, small groups throughout the community throughout the week, but we still love coming together for Sundays, Uh, our our, our, our community groups come together to worship the Lord corporately. At at Harvest, we're a small expression of the body of Christ. Uh, We love God, we love our Father, we want to be just like Him, so we choose to be just like Him by loving people than serving the world as the hands and feet of jesus right uh if you're part of the hardest family we don't have words today projectors out what's the vision make grow and equip followers of jesus to fulfill their god-given purpose in life and we do that through yeah so guys um we're, we're in this series uh, that I started a number of weeks ago uh, called um, A Life of Worship. And I, I told you I'd been feeling for a while this, uh, this urgency to begin to foster, help foster um, a deeper culture of worship within our church family because... You know, like like I've I've said each week up till now, I, I think that many, if not most believers, don't really get worship. They don't understand really what worship is. They think it's a 25 to 30 minute period during service where we sing some songs. And, and, and while I can say, yes, that is an expression of worship, I would hope that it's one of the very smallest facets of worship in your life, one of the very smallest expressions of worship in your life. Uh, worship encompasses so much more than that. But much of the church today still believes, we, much of the church still believes that God exists for us. I, I always use that example of the, the genie in the bottle, right? Like God is our genie in the Bible. We rub it and he pops out and says, poof, my wishes, your, your wish is my command, Right? And how many of you know that God does not exist for us? Isn't that right? We exist. We were created to glorify him. We were created to bring him honor and praise, to make him known and make his name famous in the earth. And I believe that one of the greatest areas that we can improve in our worship uh, toward the Lord is remembering that worship isn't something that we do on Sunday. Worship is something that we do with every, every word that comes out of our mouth, everything we put our hand to, every person we come in contact with, everything that we do is our act of service to the Lord it's our worship to him worship isn't something necessarily that you do a worshiper is who you are it was who you were created to be and so we talked about we talked about week one about how worshipers live a life of uplifted hands this represents our surrender to Christ and our victory in Christ right our surrender to Christ and our victory in Christ. Worshippers live a life of uplifted hands. It's a posture of our heart. We talked about how worshipers live a life of generosity. And each week we've talked about the wise men. The wise men came to see the baby Jesus. And it says that they were overjoyed and they bowed down. And what did they do? They presented their gifts to him, right? And, and we know that love gives. And this was demonstrated by the lord god demonstrated this first through jesus love loves to give and then last week we talked about how worshipers live a life with their hearts poured out pouring out our hearts to the lord worshiping from the very depths of our soul our mind our will our emotions our heart and and doing so with with honesty and with with transparency and with sincerity before the lord nothing hidden Man, everything just closed on me. That's awesome. And so that's what we've talked about the last, um, the last couple of weeks. And I want to continue on um, from there. Worshippers live a life of in the hands. Worshippers live a life of generosity. Worshippers live a life with their hearts poured out. Today, guys, our theme is worshipers live a life bowed down. Everybody say, worshipers live a life bowed down. I want to talk to you about bowing your knee, about kneeling before God in an act of surrender and worship. And so we're going to go back to Matthew chapter 2. If you got a Bible with you, you can turn to Matthew chapter 2. Uh also if you have uh, obviously the notes will not be on the screen this morning, but um but if you have the UVersion Bible app on your phone or your mobile device, uh you can open that up and you can hit the menu that says more and hit events and our these notes that are going to be on the screen should just pop right up on your phone or your mobile device there and you can follow along with us. But I want to go back to Matthew chapter 2 here for just a just a minute. And Matthew chapter 2, this is where the wise men encountered Jesus for the very first time. And we know that they, they followed the star, right? And we know it says that when they saw the star, they began to follow it and that they were overjoyed. And why were they overjoyed? Because for literally centuries, the, the, the people, where the wise men were from, the people believed, they, they had been hoping and they had been praying and believing that God one day would send a Messiah, Right? A Savior that would save the world from their sins. And so these wise men, they come to Jesus and they believe that this is that moment as they come before the baby Jesus. They believe this is that moment. And so they come into the house. And so in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 11, it says, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And what did they do? They bowed down and they worshiped him. When they came into the house, they immediately bow down and worship it. now I this, <laughs> side note, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, uh, the fact that, you know, around Christmas time, that's when, that's when we talk about the wise men. And we, we've, we've seen all the little movies and, and, and all these different things. And we always picture the wise men, especially at the nativity scene, we see the wise men coming and bowing down before the little, <laughs> little baby Jesus, right? The little, the little infant, days, weeks old, right? But we talked about that a few weeks ago, how most theologians believe that he was actually closer to what? About two, about two years old. Uh, He was probably a toddler. So they come to the house and they immediately bow down and begin to worship. A what? A toddler. They traveled 900 miles to see a toddler. Now, anybody here have a two-year-old? God bless you. Um, Anybody here ever had a two-year-old? Yeah. Anybody here ever been around a two-year-old? I think before we're actually parents, how many of you would admit that you probably judged parents that had two-year-olds before you were a parent? You're watching them in the restaurant, and and the kids sitting there, and they're banging their hands on the table, and they're smashing, you know, flicking mashed potatoes on the floor and singing at the top of their lungs— and then mom and dad finally decide to do something about it and, and go to pick them up, but they hold on to the, to the high chair and won't let go, and it's swinging around. And they finally get them on the floor and try to get them to walk, and they go limp like a, one of them fainting goats. And, and, you know, they're dragging them along. And you, how many of you, say you sat back and you are like, well, they do something with their child. <laughs> right? Why well, they let their kid act like that? If I was their mama, and you just fill in the blank with all kinds of stuff, right? When I'm a parent, I'm going to, and then you have a two-year-old of your very own. And you've read all the books, and you've, you've watched videos and listened to sermons on parenting and all this stuff, and nothing quite prepared you for the hyperactivity of a two-year-old, right? I heard a comedian, I don't even know if this is politically correct, if it's not, forgive me. I heard a comedian that said, two-year-olds are a lot like crazy crackheads. They, they, they're like tiny little crackheads. They run around with their clothes all mismatched, with stuff all over it. They ain't got no teeth and they act drunk all the time. <laughs> Two-year-olds. It's like, what is wrong with you? They're all gross. They stick stuff in their body anywhere they can. Nose and mouth, ears, and their eyes. <laughs> we had to take one of our kids to the ER They had a raisin stuck up her nose. I'm not going to say who. <laughs> had to go to the ER because a raisin stuck up the nose. Like, we had another kid. I'm not going to say which one, but it was a daughter. And she, she liked to pack food in the roof of her mouth. She stored it like a chipmunk. An hour after the meal, she's going, hey, daddy," You're like, what's up? And turns out she's got her whole roof of her mouth is packed with mashed potatoes from like an hour or two. You're like. That is so gross. It's like, what is wrong with you? Right? It's for real, though. Seriously happened. (laughs) Another thing I thought of, I got to say this. I can't imagine what it was like to have a two-year-old Jesus. Imagine those parents. I was thinking about that, what he looked like, a hyperactive Jesus. Streaking around, brother could probably run really fast, 90 miles an hour, streaking butt naked, you know, everybody chasing him. Stop! Running across rivers and streams. You stop walking on water, young man. (laughs) (laughs) Married, they're in the house and there's a fly on the food. Mary kills it, Jesus like, brings it back to life. (laughs) "Ah." Guys, the wise men traveled 900 miles to see a two-year-old. The wise men traveled 900 miles to see a two-year-old. Now, bowing and kneeling is not something we do much of in Western culture, right? It, very much so in other cultures around the world. We were, just, when we were just in Zambia eight weeks ago or whatever, and we were, we were eating with the chiefs. You, you bow to the chief. when You come to one of the chiefs, before you look them in the eyes, you, you bow and you clap your hand before you talk to the chief. It's, it's a matter of respect and honor. And so, but this isn't something that we do much in Western culture. Uh, As a matter of fact, it's not something we do a whole lot in the church. Uh, But some of you, a few weeks ago, there may be some of you, we talked about how we live a life of uplifted hands. There may be some of you that you may have lifted your hands in the last couple weeks of the Lord for the very first time. And it was a little uncomfortable and maybe it stretched you a little bit. But bowing, that seems like a whole nother matter. Bowing, going down on our knees, before the Lord. Most of us have probably only ever bowed when we were a kid and we were getting pictures in sports, like, you know, with the soccer ball or the football. Dad had me doing that at like two weeks old, I, getting pictures of me uh, with uh, the, sorry about that. I just, I didn't fulfill his sports dreams, but, uh, but he tried, try as he might. Um, but most of us, that, that may be the last time you bowed. You bowed down, you, you got to pick your picture made with that football or that, that soccer ball, or maybe, or maybe you proposed. When else do you bow? We don't bow much in Western culture. The thing is, when we look at the word of God, though, we see people kneeling all the time in humble submission to the goodness and the faithfulness of God. We see it over and over again. So that tells me that this is something that we should stop and that we should look at because it's something that we're not necessarily accustomed to doing. And so in Psalm 95, in Psalm 95 verses um, 6 and 7, it says, come, let us Bow down. Everybody say, bow down. down. Let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Come, let us do what? Bow down. Let us kneel. Before the Lord our Maker, why? Because we are His people; we are the flock under His care. Come, let us bow down and kneel. Now, the word that's translated "worship" in this verse—you guys, I keep forgetting—you don't see it. When it says, "Come, let us bow down and worship," the word that is translated "worship" is a Hebrew word, shakah. Everybody say shakah, Shakah. not shakachan. Shakah. Shakah sounds a lot like that, doesn't it? Um, The word shakah is used 170 times in the Bible, and it means to bow low or to kneel in worship. The word shakah does mean to worship, but it's more, it's referring to the posture of kneeling low in worship. 170 times we're told to shakah, to kneel before God in worship. Just thinking, why don't we kneel more? I think one of the reasons we don't kneel more before God is we don't understand his holiness and who he is. We don't completely, we don't, we don't comprehend his holiness. See, I think if, if we understood just how holy God is, then we would understand that we, 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 would want to, we would want to bow low with our face to the ground before him. See, we even look at the Bible and we see that God is so holy that mortal man can't look upon his face and live. Right? Because he is so holy. When Moses wanted to see the glory of God, Moses asked, right? And God said, Well, um, you can't handle my full glory. Uh, he said, You're going to see my back when I pass by, right? He said, Because you can't see my face and live. It's not like God kills you, it's he's so holy that we can't look upon his face. And live. In fact, we know that in the Old Testament um, that no one was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies except for the high priest once a year. Right? Nobody went in the holy holies where the ark of the covenant was in the tabernacle and temple. Right? Nobody was allowed to go in except for the high priest after he had done all the ritual cleansing and done everything just right. In order, he, I guarantee you, every time they did it just right and in order, because tradition—I don't know if it's actually accurate or not—but tradition says that they actually would tie a rope around his leg when he went in. Because when he went in, if they heard a big thump, they would haul him out because he was probably dead. Probably didn't do something right in preparing to go into the presence of God. God is so holy that mortal, sinful man cannot look upon him in his purest form and essence and even live. And so I think that when we start to comprehend that God, when we start to understand his glory, the one who simply spoke and created everything in existence, Suddenly, kneeling before him seems like the reasonable thing to do, does it not? Another thing I recognized here is, do you guys know that there's actually not a single place in the Bible where God tells us to kneel down to him? I heard that, and I went looking, actually trying to see. You know, God does not tell us. He doesn't say, bow. You know, like we see in the movies, the bad guys are like, bow before God never tells us. He never forces us to bow before him. He doesn't tell us to bow. It's almost as if he knows. He knows that when we come to understanding who he is and what he's done, we'll want to bow. And we'll do it willingly before him. We'll lay on our face before him and worship him. The only thing he tells us is don't bow to somebody else, right? He says don't bow before other gods. But he doesn't tell us to bow to him because I believe that he knows he understands it. when we truly understand who he is, that we will kneel before him in worship. Come, let us bow down in worship before God. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So guys, for weeks I've been trying to inspire you to step out some and, in, in your expression of worship and and, and making your life a worship before the Lord and and obviously, obviously, not just in church, but in, in every, area, every area, every aspect of your life. To be, to be a worshiper with uplifted hands, to be a worshiper that is generous, to be a worshiper that is open and, and transparent and pours out their hearts to God, and to be a worshiper who lives a life bowed down. And guys, I don't know how many of you have done it before, but sometimes we literally, I, I, I'm partially talking about a heart position a life bowed down before him. But I believe that sometimes we need to literally get down on our knees before the Lord and worship him and say, say, God, I need more of you and less of me. And we say it from this position of bowed down before him. And so I'm going to give you... I'm going to give you three reasons that we bow, and this is not a comprehensive list. This is just three, three of the reasons that we bow down that I think some of you may recognize in your own life, three reasons that you may need to stop and bow before the Lord your maker in your own life. So number one, the first thing I want to mention is we bow in pursuit of our God. We bow in pursuit of God. Now, how many of you remember the story in, um, in Matthew chapter 10 where the rich young ruler comes to Jesus? Nobody does. That's cool. In Matthew chapter 10, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. And he says, in verse 17, he says, it, it says, Jesus started on his way. A man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, you guys, I've read this story so many times and taught on this story. And there was actually something that I missed here. I guess I always focused on the question when he comes to him and says, what must I do to have eternal life? Or... I also know the end of the story, that he walks away sad, right? And and so I guess I always focused on that. I never really recognized that he ran to him and he fell to his knees before him. And so this is the rich guy that I imagine people looked at and were like, you know, what's up with this guy? He's got everything that anybody could ever want. Why is he running after Jesus? Why is he falling on his knees before him? But that's what he does. And, and I think the rich young ruler, what he recognized was that, yes, he had what, the things that everybody else wanted. But he was still missing the thing that everybody needed. And that was a Savior. And so he, he thinks maybe it's Jesus and he pursues after him and he falls on his face before him. How many of you know it doesn't matter, rich or poor, young or old, we all need a Savior. So he found himself in the same boat as these, you know, all the maybe poor folks that were gathered around Jesus in that moment. He was, he was no greater than them. He was desperate for a Savior. And so he pursues for the answer to what it was that was missing from his life. He pursues after Jesus. He falls on his knees before him. Some of you, you may be in a place in your life where you're not a committed Christ follower and you know it. You may believe in God, but he's not the sole pursuit of your life. And I would say to you that it's time to fall down, to bow before the Lord your maker and become that fully devoted follower of Jesus. Some of you, you may be here or you may be watching online and you don't even know what you believe. You don't even know if you believe that God is actually there. How many of you were at a place like that in your life where you talked, one time you said, God, are you real? God, are you even, are you there? And that may be a place where you find yourself as well, where you're questioning God, could there be a God? But you know, I know a lot of people that found the Lord in those moments where they fell to their knees and they said, God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. Are you really there? And how do you know that when you do that, he's gonna make himself known to you, right? When you really seek after him, you humble yourself, you fall to your knees before him, and you say, God, show yourself to me. He's gonna do it. That may be one of the reasons you need to kneel. You need to kneel down and say, Lord, if you're really there, show me. Some of us need to kneel in pursuit just like the rich young ruler. But maybe that's not necessarily you. Maybe you are a follower of Jesus and you don't need to necessarily pursue him uh, like you did initially. But maybe it's like, for you, it's number two. Maybe you need to bow in repentance to God. Number two, bow in repentance to God. Have any of you ever bowed down to the Lord and repented in your your life. You may need to bow down. And and guys, because here's the thing. We may be, most of us here may be Christ followers, but how many of you admit that you still do some things sometimes that you know grieve the heart of God? You know that you do things sometimes that make some bad decisions that affect your life negatively and hurt others around you. Every week there's people in church that are smiling big on the outside. But on the inside, you're grieving because you feel guilt and shame for these things that are going on in your life that are kind of hidden when you're in church and around certain people. I was thinking about this, and in, um, in actually in Luke chapter 5. If, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 5. Actually, I'm going to read this. It's the story of Peter. Y'all know that Peter, is, um, Peter was a fisherman by trade, right? And um, on this particular day, he had been fishing all night long, and he caught zilch, right? He caught absolutely nothing. And so uh, Luke chapter 5, and I'll, I'll start in verse 4. In, in verse 4, it says, Jesus sat down, and he taught the people from the boat. So we know before that, the crowds push Jesus right up to the Sea of Galilee, and he finally sees Peter. Peter's like over there washing his nets, and he says, hey, man, can I borrow your boat? Can I teach from your boat? And Peter's like, have at it, man. And so Jesus gets in the boat and begins to teach the people on the shore from the boat. And so that's what we find in verse 4. Jesus sat down, and he taught the people from Peter's boat. When he had finished, he said to Peter, now row out to deep water to cast your nets, and you will have a great catch. Look at verse 5. Master, Peter replied, We've just come back from fishing all night long. And it says right there, we didn't catch a daggum thing. However, if you insist, we'll go out again and we'll let down our nets because of your word. When they pulled in their up their nets, they were shocked to see such a huge catch of fish. So many people, so many people, so many nets, so many that their nets were ready to burst. They waved to their business partners in the other boat for help. They ended up completely filling both boats with fish until their boats began to sink. Sink. When Simon Peter saw this astonishing miracle, he knelt at Jesus' feet and begged him, saying, Go away from me, Master, for I am a sinful man. You guys, if you can just picture this for a moment. At the beginning, Jesus tells Peter to go out into the deep and to cast his nets, right? Now, look, we all got trades and things that we're good at. Do you like people coming and telling you what to do when they don't have your specialty? So, you know, can you imagine Pete, I can only imagine Peter. Not, and, you know, we know a little bit of, you know, Peter, Peter, Peter was a bit feisty. I can just imagine him being like, you know what, Um, cast my nets out in the deep. Yeah, just did that all night and just cleaned my nets. Um, Okay, you're a carpenter, right? Yeah, and I'm the fisherman. Why don't you make a table and let me put some fish on it for you? Right? I think that's the way many of us would respond in that moment. You think I missed a spot out there fishing, The, the spot where they were all hiding? You know, why are you giving me advice? says, but if you insist, he does as he's told. Now, and I've actually always wondered in reading this, I've always read into this, and I've always wondered if Peter did it because the crowds were around. <laughs> he had all these people that were gathered around that are listening. He says, as Jesus finished teaching, he tells Peter to, to go out and cast his nets. I wonder if there's people around. I, there was part of me that's always wondered if Peter was trying to save face just a little bit. All right, yeah, I'll do that, Okay. He drops his nets in the water. And verse 8 says, when Peter saw this astonishing miracle, what did he do? He knelt at Jesus' feet. Guys, this is an act of repentance. This is a repentant heart. Look at his heart. He, he doesn't say, bow down and go, okay, that was pretty cool. I'd like some more fish. <laughs> Can you do that again? Now, what does he say? He says, go away from me, master. I'm a sinful man he says, I'm too much of a sinner. You don't want to be around me. You guys see that's an act. That's a heart of repentance. Aren't you glad that Jesus never turns away a repentant heart? We should all be very glad for that. You may be here. You may be here today or you may be watching online and you feel a little bit uncomfortable because you don't do the church thing normally. And You always wondered, I've heard people say that, man, if I came to, I've invited people to church, if I came to church, man, lightning would strike or the roof would cave in. Hmm. Maybe you somehow ended up here today or you somehow ended up watching the live stream and you feel uncomfortable and feel like you don't belong. Here's the thing, guys. No matter how bad you are, how many of you know that we belong in the presence of God with a repentant heart? Jesus never turns away anyone that comes to him and says, my life is a mess. I'm a wreck and I don't deserve you. He never turns anybody away, does he? That does that. Peter felt this way and he falls to his knees and we see this repentant heart. And Jesus, how does Jesus respond to him? He says, guess what, Peter? From now on, you're not even going to fish for fish. You're going to be a fisher of men. And he says, follow me, right? And that started with Peter being obedient and bowing his knee in repentance before the Lord. So we see him here kneeling down in repentance. And maybe that's something, maybe you recognize in your own life. Maybe that's something that you need to do. Maybe you need to bow down. Maybe you need to bow before the Lord and say, Lord, I've got this issue in my life. I've got this secret sin that I've been holding on to that nobody knows about. I've got this habitual thing going on. I've got this thing that I keep doing. Maybe you just need to bow before the Lord and you need to repent. And you need to turn from that thing and release it and give it to him. First John 1.9 tells us that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just, right? To do what? To forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Speaking of men, I'm thinking here again about the wise men coming to Jesus. What did they do? They fell on their knees. I think that's, that's the, the big line from O Holy Night, right? Fall on your knees. That's what the wise men did. We fall on our knees before the Lord, and we say, God, I've messed up. I repent. Will you forgive me? And when you sincerely do this, you experience the grace of God. How many of you experience the grace of God in your life? We've got to get a lot of people saved here. Awesome. Harvest is plentiful. And you may want to stay on your knees for a little while and worship the one who so freely forgives you. So. We bow before the Lord in pursuit of him. We bow before the Lord in repentance. Last thing I want to mention here right quick, and guys, this is the big one for all of us. We bow in submission. We bow in submission to God. We don't like the word submission in our culture today. Ooh, that's a bad word, submit. How many of you here, Christ followers, would say it is an honor and a privilege to submit and bow before the Lord? You know, I was thinking about this, about kneeling in submission. You know, there may be a particular area in your life where you don't want to bow because you don't want to give up control. We've all had those areas before, right? We don't want to give up control, and so we don't bow that area. We try to hold on to it. We need to bow in submission. Um, Bowing in submission, this got me thinking about our son, Aaron. (laughs) He's not here this morning. He is... um, He's in Florida. He'll be catching a flight home here in a little while. He's been, he had to for, you know, he, he works for Overland Missions now. And he had to go down there for the weekend to the to headquarters down there. And so um, he's flying in this evening. But um, Aaron, Aaron loves to wrestle. Um, I don't wrestle him because I would have two of these if I tried to wrestle him. Um, but... um. Christian loves to wrestle him. Christian loves to wrestle him. So does Titus, wherever Titus went. Oh, also over there. These two right here. Yeah, they, they, they love to, they, they'll, they'll wrestle, wrestle with Aaron all day long. I, I, don't, I don't get it. Um, but guys, here's the thing. What In wrestling, when, when you're wrestling and you, you can't breathe, you're about to choke out, or your arm's about to snap, what do you do? You tap, right? Tap, I'm out, I'm out, bro. I'm done. Y'all tell me if I'm wrong. Aaron will not tap. That bro, he, he would rather you choke him out unconscious before he tap. He's, he's not going to do it. He will let you choke him out unconscious on the floor. He's not going to tap. I've seen it before. Tap out, Aaron. He's like, no, tap out. He's like, I'm not going to do it. He's like, ah, oh, I can't breathe. Not, is, he, is he watching right now? Hey, bud. (laughs) Brother won't tap out. Brother won't tap out. Guys, there's some of you here, you're just like that with God. You won't tap. There's some area of your life, you won't tap. I want it this way, I want it my way. There's some of you God has been pursuing. you. He's been reaching out for years. He's been trying to get a hold of an area in your life. And you won't tap. You won't do it. No, I'm not going to do it. And you hold on. You will let it kill you before you tap. You won't surrender to his plan, which is a far better plan than yours. I promise. You won't tap. You won't do it. Some of you need to tap. You need to kneel. You need to surrender. And here's the thing, guys. That's exactly what Jesus did. He demonstrated this first. Jesus tapped. He did it. Jesus, born of a virgin in a manger, right? He wasn't born to have the American dream. He was born to die. His sole purpose for being born was so that he could die. Being God in the flesh, he 100% knew what was coming ahead, right? He never sinned against God, but he knew the torture and the agony that he would face becoming sin. How many of you know that everything that we've ever done wrong, that's what he became as he hung on that cross? So much so, the Bible tells us that the father had to turn his face away from him, right? Right? Remember that holiness thing? The Father had to turn away from Jesus. Jesus faced the terror of dying on the cross without the presence of his Father who had been there with him from day one. Jesus understood what was coming and he willingly submitted to the Father's will in that moment. He tapped, he surrendered. Look what Jesus did. You guys know this from Luke chapter 22. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says, he withdrew about a stone's throw away, a a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt down and he prayed. He said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. What did Jesus, the Son of God, do? He bowed down. He knelt and he prayed. He got down on his knees. What did he pray? He prayed a prayer of surrender. He says, Father, I know your plan. It'd be really cool if there's a little detour around this next part. That would be really awesome. But if not, your will be done. He said, If not, I tap, I surrender. Let's go. I'll follow you. And some of us, that's what we need to pray today. Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Some of you need to stop and you say, Lord, I surrender, I give up, I've been fighting you too long, and I tap out. And I was thinking, you know, it's an area that I think Sean and I were raised pretty well in, and we're we're the type of people that rarely anything ever freaks us out. And I think part of that is, you know, it's not that there's not reason for concern, but I think that we've learned to live this life bowed down and we recognize there's a lot of things in this life that we have no control over. And so we might as well surrender those things to the Lord and trust him with them, right? And so that's why we found that rarely do we get really, do we get really rattled. And I think we've understood, and I want you to listen to this. I think we've understood that living a life bowed down is what gives you the strength to stand. Living a life bowed down is what gives you the strength to stand in the world today. For some of you, you need to lift holy hands to the Lord. Some of you, you need to bring your gifts. Some of you need to pour out your heart in sincerity to the Lord. Some of you need to take a new posture, a surrendered, submitted posture of worship before the Lord. And you may need to literally get down on your knees and kneel before him. By the way, before I close, you do recognize that you can do this now or you can do it later, right? You you can make the decision to bow now or you can do it later. But the Bible tells us that you will bow to him one day. You can kneel now in pursuit. You can kneel now in repentance. You can kneel now in submission and worship or one day you'll bow, and there will be regret and shame when you bow. Here's what Philippians 2.8 says. You guys have heard this before. It says, And being found in appearance as a man, he, being Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. This is who we worship, guys, and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You can bow now or you can bow later. And even later, he's not forcing you, he doesn't put a knife to your throat to make you bow. You're finally going to see him for who he really is. (laughs) And you're going to recognize, your body itself is going to recognize, your only reasonable service is going to be to throw yourself at his feet. You can bow now or you can bow later. God never told us to bow down to him because he knew that once we understood who he was and what we had done, that we would know our only reasonable response was to bow down low before him and to worship him. Worshippers live a life bowed down. I want to invite the worship team to come up as we close. We will continue next week. And I want to invite everybody to stand up with me for just a minute. Now, y'all know from my previous uh, weeks of this series here that my uh, last 10 minutes or so is our activation time. <laughs> as we go through a life of worship, this series. Now, I just made myself a few notes. I was thinking about where everybody would be at today. You may recognize that it is time to kneel down and surrender before the Lord in your life. You recognize that you're in control and not him and that you have not let go. You recognize that you need to surrender. There may be an area of your life that you are trying to keep control of desperately. You're hanging on to it with everything you've got and you recognize, I've got to let this go. You're trying to have it your way and you need to surrender and say, God, not my will, but yours be done. You may be here today and you got another reason to bow. Maybe you do need to bow down in repentance before the Lord. You know that there's stuff in there that you haven't haven't given to him. You know there's stuff in your life, like I said, that may very well be hidden, may be habitual, things that you don't tell anybody about, things that you've let slip that you know grieves the heart of God. Guys, we've got to remember how good he is. And we need to fall to our knees. And we need to repent and give those things to him. And turn away from our sin. Amen. You may be in a really good place in your life, but you recognize that you need to kneel before the Lord in simple thanksgiving for all that he's done. Guys, we are not nearly thankful enough. That's why we deal with so much depression and, oh, woe is me. Cause we've forgotten what it means to be thankful. We forget, like I talked about last week, about God's faithfulness that sustained us in the past and his, his power empowerment in our future. Some of us, we're just going to need to take a knee and just begin to out our hearts to the Lord and thank him for all that he's done, for always being there. Even when we went stupid, that he wouldn't forsake us. He was always there. You may recognize that you've never knelt before the Lord. You've never surrendered your heart to Jesus. That's the greatest reason of all, to bow your knee to him. Say, Lord, I give my heart to you. Reveal yourself to me. So the worship team's going to play. And guys, I want us to take just a moment. And I want us to bow before the Lord. If for some reason you can't, that's fine. Or you don't feel comfortable. No condemnation whatsoever. Sit down in your chair and just sing or pray or worship the Lord. But I want us to kneel before the Lord. So let's do it, guys.
1: We down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. The great. The feet of Jesus singing and we fall, we fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus The greatness of mercy and love at the feet.
0: and you've never bowed your heart to Jesus, you're in the perfect posture right now. This is what it means, bowing down. It's not just physically bowing down, but it's bowing down your heart, bowing down your life and saying, Jesus, I'm following you to the end. I give up my own selfish desires and even my own selfish dreams. I lay those things down at your feet and I say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. You repent and you turn from those things, your past, you turn from those things that grieve him. You hand them over to him. And then you focus your eyes on Jesus. You make him Savior and Lord of your life. And you follow him all the days of your life. If you're here and you've never bowed your knee to Jesus and surrender, I just lift up your hand. Anybody here right now that would say, I've never bowed my knee and surrendered to Jesus for it. Or you recognize you need to rededicate your life to the Lord, that you need to bow your life and surrender to him. Anybody here? Maybe you're on the live stream. Maybe you're at Rolling Hills. I encourage you, this is your moment to say yes to Jesus. Greatest moment of your life on earth is when you allow him to make you a new creation, to take away all the junk, all the guilt and the shame, all the stuff that you've gathered up in, in your life on earth and to rid you of that and to give you life and life abundantly. I'm going to pray a prayer. The Bible says you mean it with all your heart. that he does that. He forgives you of your sin. He cleanses you. He makes you a new creation. I'm going to pray a prayer. You can pray along with me. You can pray in your own words. Just in that kneeled position, just say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I'm recognized. I'm lost and alone without him. I recognize that I need to tap. I've tried doing things my own way for so long. I surrender. Today I repent of my sin. I'm sorry, Lord, I don't deserve you. I ask you to forgive me. I turn from my sinful ways. I choose to make you Lord of my life. I believe, Jesus, you're the Son of God. I believe that you died in my place, that you rose on the third day. I choose to follow you to the end. I fix my eyes on you, Lord. Say, Holy Spirit, fill me and empower me to be everything you've called me to be in Jesus' name. The rest of us here, I just want us to take just another moment or two. Why are you bowed down right now? Why are you in this posture before the Lord? (laughs) Don't say it's because I told you to. Why do you need to be bowed down right now? What do you need to surrender? What do you need to repent of? Are you pursuing God? out to him and say, Lord, reveal yourself to me. you need to surrender? Tell him, Lord, I'm tapping out. I'm done with the struggle. Not my will, but yours be done. Are you needing to repent? On your knees, confess your sin to him. Say, Lord, I choose to turn today. Wash me clean.